On July 16, 2007, Chauncey Bailey was having a secret meeting in his office at the Oakland Post. Ali Salim Bey, an employee at Your Black Muslim Bakery and a spiritually adopted son of Yusuf Bey Sr., had agreed to an interview. Salim told Chauncey about all of the illegal activities that the bakery was involved in and also gave him financial documents. By the end of the meeting, Chauncey confirmed that he would be writing an expose on the business and Salim agreed to be his confidential source. As Salim was leaving the building after the meeting, he bumped into Bay Sr.'s ex-wife, Nasaya Yehuda. Yehuda worked in the advertising department at the Post and she questioned Salim about why he was there. Salim made up a lie and quickly walked away. On August 2, 2007, Chauncey would be murdered on his way to work. Hi, I'm your host Gigi, and welcome back to Noir True Crime Files. Before I start this week's episode, I want to politely ask that you guys check out parts one and two of A Buried Story because it'll help to tie in everything that I'll be discussing in this week's episode. Also, slight content warning, I will be briefly discussing sexual abuse against young girls, so listener discretion is advised. When Devondre Broussard was arrested on August 3, 2007, he initially refused to speak to Sar- Sergeants Derwin Longmire and Lou Cruz. He had been caught earlier that morning by Oakland PD during the raid tossing a shotgun out of a window, so he thought they were going to charge him with gun possession. Instead, they were questioning him about Chauncey's murder. Broussard claims that the sergeants brought Yusuf IV to his interrogation room and left them alone together. During that conversation, Devondre says Yusuf manipulated him into confessing to Chauncey's murder. According to Yusuf, however, Devondre is the one who asked to see him and Oakland PD backed his claim. Either way, Oakland PD allowed for the two men to have a private meeting with no cameras or other recording devices and no officers present. Sergeant Longmire took the stand in an unrelated case in October 2007, where he was questioned about Oakland PD's practice of not recording interviews with suspects and witnesses. Sergeant Longmire basically said that if a witness did not feel like their identity would be kept confidential, then they would not want to deal with the investigation. He also said that the department would try to record interviews according to procedure, but that they, quote, failed miserably at that process, end quote. If you've been following along, you know that this isn't the first side-eye-worthy slip-up in this case. In part two, I talked about the search warrant that was granted to the police on July 31, 2007, but how the raid was delayed because two high-ranking SWAT commanders were on vacation. During that delay, Chauncey Bailey was murdered. Devondre later recanted his confession, but he went back and forth about whether he killed Chauncey or not. 
He initially said he had acted alone. Then he said he hadn't done it at all. Then he said Yusuf told him to do it. In 2009, Devandre would give a full statement detailing everything he knew, but I'll get to that a little later. When the Bay brothers, Taman Halfen and Richard Lewis were arrested during the raid, it actually was not in connection to Chauncey's murder. In part one, I talked about how a mother and her adult daughter had been kidnapped by the men in May of 2007. I have to clear up a few details though. What basically happened was that the group staked out a bingo hall where the women were because they believed the daughter knew where a local drug dealer was hiding money. The men were hoping to take that money and use it to pay off some of the bakery's debts. When the women left the pool hall, the men used a black Ford Crown Victoria, which is a model commonly, commonly used by police, to trick the women into pulling over. They held the women at gunpoint, handcuffed them, and placed plastic bags over their heads. Then they drove the victims to an abandoned house, but only the daughter was taken inside, where she was threatened and beaten. Her mom was kept inside the decoy car at gunpoint. After a police officer driving by mistook the decoy car for an official police cruiser, the group fled the scene but left the car and cell phones inside the house. Those phones were later linked to the bakery, which prompted the investigation that led to the raid. Now that I've refreshed and correctly given you the backstory on the kidnapping, here's what happened as a result. Yusuf IV was taken in on an outstanding warrant from a 2006 assault case and was charged with kidnapping and vandalism. The vandalism charge stemmed from two incidences in 2005 when Yusuf and other associates were caught on security camera destroying property and merchandise belonging to two Muslim-owned liquor stores. Yusuf V and Joshua Bey are Yusuf IV's younger half-brothers, and they were arrested for kidnapping and torture. In part two, I discussed Yusuf Bey Sr.'s years of sexual abuse on young girls and how that abuse resulted in the births of many children. Kawana Banks came forward in 2002, alleging Bay Sr. had repeatedly raped her when she was a child and that he was the father of her three older children. DNA results proved that Bay Sr. had fathered the children, which led to him being arrested and charged for felony sex crimes. Unfortunately, Kawana's older sister was also a victim of Bay Sr. and had given birth to two of his children as well. Kawana is Yusuf V's mother, while her sister is Joshua's mother. In February 2008, Joshua struck a deal with prosecutors that in exchange for a three-year prison sentence, he would testify against his brothers, Halfin and Lewis. The news about the plea deal wasn't revealed until several days later during a preliminary hearing. The prosecution claimed they kept it a secret for Joshua's safety, and the remainder of the trial was extremely tense. During Joshua's testimony, Yusuf yelled out things like, You can't call me brother, and you're not a bay anymore. After the trial, there was a fight outside the courthouse between Joshua's mom and other Bay family members. Bailiffs ended up having to separate them. Joshua served out his sentence at the North County Jail and was released in 2011. Yusuf V also took a plea deal and agreed to testify against Lewis. He pled guilty in 2009 to his charges and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. There isn't much personal information about Taman Halfin or how he got involved with the bakery. When he was arrested, he was charged with kidnapping, torture, and real estate fraud. Halfin was the other associate who got caught along with Yusuf IV using fake IDs to buy homes in the Bay Area. They forged documents in order to obtain a loan from a Bank of America, and with the funds, Halfin purchased two homes, which totaled up to $1 million. 
Halfin pled no contest to his charges and was sentenced to 16 years in state prison in 2011. The only personal details I was able to find on Richard Lewis was that he was a former high school football star. Lewis reportedly met Yusuf IV in early 2007 while he was in jail on a murder charge, which was eventually thrown out because of a legal technicality. When Lewis was released, he joined the bakery. Lewis had been taken into custody during the bakery raid, but police did not have enough evidence at that time to charge him with anything. Months later, Lewis was arrested and charged with kidnapping, torture, and carjacking. He was sentenced to life without parole, but in 2014, his conviction was overturned and he was resentenced to 20 years. A three-member panel of the First District Court of Appeal in San Francisco ruled that the testimony given in Lewis's first trial by Joshua and Yusuf V had been, quote, inflammatory and that there wasn't strong enough evidence against Lewis to suggest he actually was a part of the kidnapping. Right after the raid, the bakery was shut down by Alameda County health officials. Oakland PD reported that during the raid, they discovered dead rats, droppings, and waste leaking from drain pipes. I mentioned in part two how the bakery received four major health code violations in December of 2006, but somehow managed to stay open for business. During that inspection, a report stated that employees were not washing their hands, were exposing foods to, quote, potential contamination risks, and that there was a lack of clean surfaces. Later that evening, a press conference was held in front of the bakery. Speaking on behalf of the family, Shamir Yusuf Bey made it clear that the family did not condone Yusuf IV's actions and asked that the public not associate the arrested men's actions with Bey Sr.'s legacy. Days after the raid and arrests, Ali Salim Bey revealed himself as Chauncey's confidential source. Salim alleged that the bakery was taken over illegally by Antar Bey, who was briefly in power from 2004 to 2005. Antar had allegedly forged documents stating that he owned the business and pushed out his father's wives and his siblings. He was later murdered during a carjacking and had left the business in financial debt. Yusuf IV then took over, which Salim claims was also illegal, and a month later, Yusuf and his crew were arrested for vandalism. From that time on, Bay family members and bakery workers helplessly stood by while Yusuf continued to get arrested on multiple occasions. In October 2006, the bakery filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but since no payments were being made towards a defaulted mortgage, a judge ruled in 2007 for the bakery to go into Chapter 7 bankruptcy. This ruling required that the bakery liquidate their assets, so Salim began acting on the Bay family's behalf to help them reclaim the business before the liquidation went into effect. Salim firmly claimed that the bankruptcy was not legitimate since ownership of the business had been seized illegally. Salim tried to contact the U.S. Bankruptcy Court, the IRS, Mayor Ron Dellum, Representative Barbara Lee, the Alameda County District Attorney's Office, and the Oakland Police Department. He says they all ignored him or would redirect him to other offices. Mayor Dellum and Representative Lee's offices would later face criticism for writing letters in support of the bakery during their bankruptcy trial. When they were questioned, both Dellum and Lee claimed they were not aware at the time of the bakery's illegal activities and withdrew their support. Salim claimed that Chauncey had been asking to interview him since Bay Sr.'s funeral in 2003, and with no one else willing to listen to him, he finally agreed to tell Chauncey what he knew. Unfortunately, the same day Salim talked to Chauncey is when he bumped into Nasaya Yehuda. 
Although Yehuda was no longer with the bakery, she still had ties to them. It is alleged that Yehuda is the one that reported back to Yusuf IV that she saw Salim at the post offices, but she would later testify that she did not. However, in court documents, Yusuf IV claims that one of his sisters told him about Salim being at the post offices, and that sister is Yehuda's daughter. Yaudo would later say in interviews that Chauncey was going around telling people about his investigation and that it wasn't a secret. Salim says that Chauncey admitted to him that he spoke to Yaudo, but that she had offered to give him information about the bakery. Salim received a threatening phone call from Yusuf IV days before Chauncey's murder, but he later learned his life was spared because Yusuf didn't want to cause issues with his older sister Salma, Salim's wife. The bakery's closing came as a shock to the black community of Oakland. For 34 years, the bakery had been regarded as a symbol of black empowerment and self-reliance, only for them to find out that it was all a lie. Chauncey Bailey's funeral was held on August 8, 2007 at the East Oakland St. Benedict's Catholic Church. There were reportedly 700 people in attendance, and the church was so packed that people were seated in folding chairs, standing along the walls, and standing outside in a line that stretched down the street. The Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir and the Oakland East Bay Symphony Orchestra provided the music for the service. Among the guest speakers at the service were Chauncey's ex-wife, Robin Hardin, Mayor Ron Dellum, and Paul Cobb. During her speech, Robin told the packed church about how loving Chauncey was, that regardless of who you were, he treated everyone with respect and kindness. Despite their divorce 10 years prior, they had remained friends. When Mayor Dellum spoke during the funeral, he acknowledged that his relationship with Chauncey was tense at times, but that he respected Chauncey's dedication to the community. Dellums also spoke about violence in Oakland, saying, quote, If we are to pay tribute to Chauncey Bailey and all who have lost their lives in this city to violence, we must at this moment embrace the quality of human life. We cannot fall prey to fear and cynicism. We will not be cowed by fear. We will take back our community. He received a standing ovation once he was done. Paul Cobb shared some of his favorite memories with Chauncey during his speech, but at one point he broke down a bit when he admitted that he'd been receiving threats since Chauncey's murder. The latest one he had received was right before the funeral. Cobb said, quote, To the forces behind and connected to this assassination, it isn't over. You might have assassinated the messenger, but the message will prevail. When the almost three-hour-long service ended, pallbearers carried Chauncey's dark wooden casket to the front of the church to receive a final blessing of holy water. The New Orleans version of As the Saints Go Marching In began playing as people left the church. Black motorcycle gang, the East Bay Dragons, lended their support during the funeral by leading the procession of cars to the Holy Sepulchre Cemetery in Hayward. Club member Darnell Levinston also stood outside of the church holding a large sign that read, Stop Black on Black Violence. A few months later, in October 2007, two dozen journalists joined together and created the Chauncey Bailey Project. Their goal was to continue Chauncey's work and to also continue reporting on his case. 
the group modeled themselves after the Arizona Project, which was created after the murder of reporter Don Bowles. Bowles had been investigating the Chicago Mafia when a bomb exploded in his car when he was on his way to interview an informant. Bowles survived for 11 days before passing away. Chauncey was the first journalist since Bowles' death in 1976 to be murdered over a domestic story. With support from local papers and universities, as well as funding from several different foundations, the writers of the CPB were able to look deeper into the Oakland PD's handling of the bakery's investigation and Chauncey's murder. In December 2007, the CPB uncovered another suspect involved in Chauncey's murder. Antoine Mackey was also a bakery employee and happened to be Devondre Bassard's roommate at the time of the murder. Mackey had a violent criminal history, which included past charges of sexual assault and attempted murder. When the CPB spoke with Mackey, he denied being involved with the murder. However, when they spoke with another employee named Roberto Magana, he told them that he saw Mackey driving away in his white Dodge Caravan. Magana told Oakland PD that he had actually given his keys to Yusuf IV, but Yusuf claimed that this wasn't true. Magana said that Mackey left between 5.30 to 6 a.m. and came back with the car between 7.30 and 7.35 p.m. If you remember in part one, after Broussard killed Chauncey, he was seen driving away in a white van. Chauncey was also killed at 7.25 a.m. Shortly after speaking with the CPB, Mackey went on the run. He failed to appear in court on unrelated charges and a warrant was put out for his arrest. In April 2008, Mackey was caught and arrested on the unrelated charges. In June 2008, the CPB released a secret video of Yusuf IV, his brother Joshua, and Taman Halfin, which was recorded three days after the bakery raid. All three men are sitting in an interrogation room discussing Chauncey Bailey's murder, and it's a pretty incriminating video. You can hear Yusuf basically bragging and laughing about Chauncey's murder in detail while his brother and Halfin are asking him questions and laughing along with him. Until the release of the video, Yusuf had maintained that he had nothing to do with Chauncey's death. Yusuf revealed a lot of things in the video, like how he went by the murder scene afterwards to check it out, how he was aware that Oakland PD had put a tracking device on his car, and that they knew that he, Devondre, and Antoine Mackey had been at Chauncey's apartment the night before the murder, how the shotgun and shells used to kill Chauncey had been in his possession after the murder, but how he had given it back to Devondre because he felt like the FBI was watching the bakery. He also said that Sergeant Longmire was protecting him and that he'd helped to pin Chauncey's murder on Devondre. Yusuf explained that Devondre basically confessed because he told him that Oakland PD was going to blame Yusuf and the bakery for Chauncey's death unless Devondre took the fall. Yusuf also told his brother and Halfin that they needed to get their stories straight. When he was later questioned about the video, Yusuf still claimed that he had nothing to do with it and that he made up stories to mislead the police. Ballistics testing would later show that the shotgun Devondre threw out the window during the raid was the same shotgun used to kill Chauncey and that it had been stolen from one of the liquor stores Yusuf and his crew had vandalized in 2005. Yusuf IV and Sergeant Longmire had formed a big brother-little brother bond during the time Longmire was working on Antar Bay's murder case. After the release of the video, the CPB looked further into Sergeant Longmire's handling of Chauncey's murder case and discovered that Longmire had not only ignored evidence that linked Yusuf IV to Chauncey's murder, but that he'd also interfered in two of Yusuf's other felony cases, one of them being the kidnapping case. 
Longmire failed to note that the tracking device placed on Yusuf's car placed him outside of Chauncey's apartment for 14 minutes the night before the murder. Oakland PD also had not analyzed Yusuf's cell phone data, which also placed him outside of Chauncey's apartment. The cell phone record showed that he had had two brief conversations with an associate that also knew Chauncey, but the associate, whose name is J.R. Valerie, denies that the phone conversations had anything to do with Chauncey. I did a little bit of research on Valerie, and he's quite the character. Anyway, Longmire failed to clarify statements Devondre made during his initial interrogation, and he made notes of things that Devondre never actually said. For example, Longmire wrote that Devondre killed Chauncey because he, quote, slandered the bakery, except in official police documents, Devondre never used the word slandered. When the secret video was turned over to Longmire, he didn't document it in his notes, and he also did not question Yusuf about anything that was mentioned in the video during two jailhouse interviews that followed. After the release of the CPB's findings, Oakland PD conducted an internal investigation of Longmire on the basis that his relationship with Yusuf IV may have compromised Chauncey's case. Longmire's relationship with Yusuf and the bakery was not a secret and was actually viewed by some as an example of police having a good relationship with the community, but his failure to properly document key aspects of the investigation made it seem like he was personally invested in making sure that Yusuf was not implicated in the murder. Longmire was placed on leave for six months, with pay, but was later cleared of any wrongdoing and was allowed to return to work. Even with the release of the secret videotape, Yusuf was still not charged in Chauncey's murder. In April 2009, Devondre Bassard accepted a plea deal and several days later testified in front of a grand jury. He admitted to the jury that he killed Chauncey and Oldell Roberson on the orders of Yusuf IV. Roberson was a local homeless man and uncle to Alfonso Phillips, the man who was convicted in the death of Antar Bay. It is alleged that Yusuf ordered Roberson's murder in retaliation for his brother's death. During his testimony, Broussard also named Antoine Mackey as his accomplice in both murders. Broussard said that Mackey was the getaway driver the morning of Chauncey's murder and that Mackey was the one who handed him the shotgun used to kill Roberson. Broussard also implicated Mackey in the murder of another man named Michael Wills. On the evening of July 12, 2007, Wills was spotted by Yusuf IV and Mackey walking to a nearby corner store. According to Devondre, Mackey and Yusuf had been discussing the 1970s case of the Zebra murders, where four black men had been arrested and convicted for a string of racially charged murders against white people. Wills, who was white, happened to pass by during this conversation, and Mackey either volunteered or was instructed by Yusuf to kill him. Mackey chased Wills down the street and shot him six times. Police found Wills' body the next day, but just like in the case of Odell Roberson, they chalked Will's murder up to another random shooting in Oakland. Devondre claims that after Mackey killed Wills, that he went around bragging about it, calling Wills a, quote, white devil. Bassar told the grand jury that in exchange for the killings, Yusuf offered to teach him and Mackey how to forge loan applications so that they could get thousands of dollars that they wouldn't have to repay. As part of the terms of his plea deal, Broussard pled guilty to two counts of voluntary manslaughter and would be sentenced to 25 years in prison. He would also have to testify against Yusuf and Mackey at trial. 
After hearing Bassard's testimony, the grand jury voted to formally indict Youssef IV on three counts of murder in the deaths of Chauncey Bailey, Olda Roberson, and Michael Wills. The charges included special circumstances which would allow the prosecution to seek the death penalty against Youssef. Mackey was also indicted on three counts of murder with special circumstances. Both men pleaded not guilty to the charges. Police officials claimed that they didn't initially move forward with charging Youssef and Chauncey's murder because he was already facing life for the kidnapping and torture charges, but with his history of blowing off court dates and evading lengthy prison sentences, the likelihood of those charges being dropped was pretty high. He pretty much would have gone away with his involvement in Chauncey's murder if not for the CPB's explosive findings on Oakland PD's handling of Chauncey's murder case. While awaiting trial for Chauncey's murder, it was discovered that Yusuf IV had ordered a former bodyguard from the bakery named Gary Popoff to kill two witnesses set to testify against him. Popoff was arrested the same day during a traffic stop on suspicion of attempted witness intimidation. Popoff was on parole and was sent back to prison for nine months. Yusuf gave his hit list to his then lawyer, Lorna Patton Brown, who then gave it to his sister, Aisha, who then gave it to Popoff. Police documents also showed a summarized conversation over the phone between Yusuf and Popoff discussing one of the intended victims. Patton Brown stepped down from Yusuf's case, had her law license suspended for two years, and resigned from practicing law. In the summer of 2019, Patton Brown began petitioning to have her license reinstated. A judgment on that petition is still pending. After a long delay, Yusuf IV Bay and Anton Mackey's murder trial finally began in March of 2011. In her two-hour opening statement, Deputy District Attorney Melissa Crum showed jurors photos and diagrams while breaking down the case as, quote, voluminous but not complicated because the evidence made it clear that Yusuf and his soldiers, as she called them, were guilty of committing crimes for the benefit of the bakery. Crum stated that Yusuf's motive for killing Chauncey was to stop him from reporting on the bakery in order to save it from its upcoming bankruptcy, and that he had harbored resentment towards Chauncey for writing articles in the past about his father after he was arrested on child rape charges. One witness who took the stand testified that she'd seen Chauncey the morning of his death and that a man fitting Devondre Bassard's description came running past she wasn't sure at first that what she saw with him was a gun, but when he came running back across the street towards the white van, she was positive that he had a shotgun with him. Another witness who also saw Devondre running past the morning of the murder said that he heard two firecracker sounding pops at 7.25 a.m., and from a distance, he could see Chauncey's body laying on the ground. This witness said he saw the masked gunman turn to run, but then turn back to Chauncey's body and fire his gun once more and then run away. The first officer on the scene, whose name was Trenton Thompson, testified that he viewed Chauncey's body and saw that part of his face was missing. He also checked for a pulse, but there wasn't one. On March 28th, Devondre Broussard took the stand to testify against Yusuf IV and Mackey. Over the course of several days, he told the court about how he and Mackey hunted down both Chauncey and Odell Roberson on Yusuf's orders. He told the court that Yusuf, quote, wanted us to kill him. He was concerned about what he was writing when he was speaking in reference to Chauncey. Bassard claimed to have learned about Chauncey two days before the murder and that Yusuf pointed him out in a video from his father's funeral in 2003. That same video was found in Yusuf's VCR during the raid. 
Broussard testified that all three men had staked out Chauncey's apartment the night before the killing, and when he and Mackey returned the next morning, they realized that they'd missed Chauncey, but eventually found him on 14th Street going into the McDonald's. Bassard admitted to shooting Chauncey with a 12-gauge Mossberg at close range twice, but turned back to shoot him a third time as he lay dying because he remembered Yusuf told him to fire three times and to make sure that Chauncey was dead. Chauncey had been hit in the right shoulder, lower abdomen, and in the face. When Crum questioned Broussard about Odo Roberson's murder, he laughed while describing how he yelled at Roberson to stop running away before he caught up to him and shot him eight to ten times. When he was asked why he killed Roberson, Broussard simply answered, quote, because Yusuf IV told me to, end quote. Bassard also admitted to turning on the bakery partly because of the plea deal, but also because he was upset at the way he was treated after he got arrested. He said, quote, I was let down. No one said to tell me what was up. I realized Yusuf brought all this shit down on all of us. Evidence presented in the trial included the secret videotape of Yusuf, Joshua, and Halfin discussing Chauncey's murder and the kidnapping. The jury was allowed to watch the video in its entirety. A device expert took the stand to show reports from the tracking device on Yusuf's car that proved he was at Chauncey's apartment the night before the murder and that he'd driven by the murder scene 45 minutes after Chauncey was killed. The shotgun used in the murder and a spent shell that was discovered in Yusuf's bedroom were also presented. The spent shell matched the brand and type of load that was found at the crime scene near Chauncey's body. It was later proven that the same shotgun was used to kill Roberson and Wills. Yusuf never took the stand in his defense, but Mackey did. He claimed Broussard was pinning Chauncey's murder on him because he'd slept with women Broussard was interested in. Mackey denied having anything to do with both murders and said he was either working at the bakery or at home when the murders took place. When Prosecutor Crum cross-examined him about receiving phone calls early in the morning from Yusuf the day of Chauncey's murder, Mackey claimed to not know or remember what she was talking about. In her closing arguments, Crum acknowledged that Broussard had committed murder, but that his testimony was still valid and proved that Yusuf and Mackey were involved and guilty of the three murders. In their closing arguments, the defense claimed the prosecution's case was built on lies and that Yusuf and Mackey should be acquitted because Broussard's testimony lacked credibility. In July 2011, the jury ultimately found Yusuf IV guilty on all three counts of murder, and two months later, he was sentenced to three consecutive life terms. Mackey was also found guilty, but only on two out of the three of his counts. Jurors were split on whether Mackey actually had anything to do with Roberson's murder. He was sentenced to two life terms. Neither he nor Yusuf are eligible for parole. Yusuf didn't speak during his sentencing, but through a written letter read by his attorney, he continued to deny his involvement in the murders and that he, quote, will not rest until I find those truly responsible for setting up this operation. Yusuf's statement included what he considered an apology to the Bailey family, where he expressed regret for, quote, not making a wiser decision and allowing this to have occurred on my watch. Devondre Broussard is currently serving his 25-year sentence at the Sierra Conservation Center in Jamestown, California. If you're interested in making a pen pal, he has a profile up on writeaprisoner.com. Antoine Mackey is serving his life sentences at the Salinas Valley State Prison in Soledad, California. Yusuf Ali Bey was initially sent to San Quentin Prison to serve out his life sentences. 
The charges against him in the kidnapping and torture case were dropped in exchange for his sentencing in the triple murder case. In 2012, he was sent to solitary confinement for an undisclosed amount of time for trying to bribe a guard to bring him a cell phone. Later that year, Yusuf posted messages to a website created by supporters claiming that he would return bigger and better to the city of Oakland and that he had a surprise for his friends and enemies. This was the second website ran in support of Bay, and just like the first, it was eventually taken down. At some point, Yusuf was sent to Salinas Valley State Prison, and in 2016, he was investigated for trying to order more murders against people he felt had wronged him. Text messages on the phone seemed to imply that even though he was in prison, that he still was capable of doing harm to others. Yusuf is currently housed at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California. Hopefully you guys' heads aren't spinning too much after all this information that I gave you in this episode. To be honest, this case was pretty challenging to research and write about simply because I wanted to make sure I had every single fact straight. I would have had this episode done months ago, but I had midterms, work, and life was happening. Thank you guys for continuing to support the show during my hiatus, and I hope that I was able to tie up this story for you despite the long wait. One of the biggest takeaways from this case is that the community of Oakland lost a valuable member in Chauncey Bailey. His commitment to journalism and the black community cost him his life, but his legacy lives on in his cable channel, scholarships and fellowships established in his name, and an upcoming memorial that has yet to be held but is still in the works. Bailey definitely left an impact on almost everyone he met, and unfortunately he lost his life doing what he loved most. Even though this series was centered around Chauncey Bailey, I want us to remember that he was not the only victim. Thankfully, the abused women and girls of the bakery survived and their stories were eventually heard, but more could have been done to save them if Oakland County officials had stepped in and really investigated what kind of business Yusuf Bay Sr. was running. There was Oldell Roberson, Michael Wills, Ronald Allen, and Peter Kaufman. Bakery employees who dared to fight back, like Allen, wound up dead or left town in fear for their lives. In some of the articles I read, I did see that when defending the bakery, people would mention that it housed people in the community, it fed them, and it gave them a sense of purpose. But all of that came at a price, so it's hard for me to still accept the good when there was so much more bad that came from it. The building where the bakery once stood was sold, and in its place is a catering company. It's pretty fair to say that Yusuf Bay Sr. established a business that on the outside was meant to serve the community, but he used the vulnerable people of his community and members of his own family to enrich himself and satisfy his predatory urges. And he passed down those traits to his children Antar, Yusuf IV, Yusuf V, and Joshua. The one thing I don't understand is what the city of Oakland had to gain from turning a blind eye to Bay's criminal activity. I couldn't make a connection of how they benefited from his crimes when they were the ones giving him money and basically staying out of his way, and also later helping his son to avoid facing consequences for his actions. If any of you want to share your thoughts and theories and overall opinions about this case, please reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at NTCF Podcast. The show is available on all streaming platforms, and I'll link all of the resources I used for this episode in the show notes. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye for now.